I want to talk to you about biblical Christianity in an unbiblical world. Biblical Christianity in an unbiblical world. I, I don't have to tell you this, but the United States of America and the world is in a mess. We've never known the mess that we're in right now. Any, any of the seven mountains is in a mess. So what's the answer? I'm going to speak to that Sunday morning. I want to give my prophetic uh, provision, uh, I mean prediction of what I think and where we're headed with that. But anyway, so I did a little, I did a little uh, research and found out some things that troubled me and yet challenged me. Uh, I found out that 20% of all born-again believers, 20% of them, have a biblical worldview. Only 20%. That's sad. And yet, when adult believers were asked, do you believe the Bible is without error, over 50% said yes. So somewhere between a biblical view and believing the Bible is true, we have a lack of application. And you know, it, it's, it's good to say, yeah, I believe it, but if you don't apply it, what good does it do you? Right. So, I want to talk to you about a, a biblical Christianity. Let, let me, just bear with me for a minute or two. Let, let me tell you how I am perceiving some things at my age. There's a lot of substitutes going on in the church. This is my observation. We must be careful not to replace feeling instead of faith. We must be careful not to misunderstand doing instead of being. We must understand religion does not replace relationship. Lies Listen, lies don't get it done. A lie has no power till you believe it. So I'm suspiciously looking at a lot of lies that are being told for the truth, and a lot of people who go to church believe it. If we're not careful, we will, we will put programs where presence ought to be. We will substitute common grace for saving grace. We will, we will, if we're not careful, we'll begin to live tomorrow. Yeah, I'll do it, but not today. To me, those are substitutes. There's only, there's only some things uh, that change. Methods, methods change. If you put a tent out on the side of the road, you won't get near the people to come as they once were, would come. I mean, you know, methods change. Men change. God's always changing us. But listen to me. The message don't ever change. The message now is what it's always been. So you can't change the message to fit the culture. Preach the message and let the culture fit the message. Now, if, if we miss the message, Churches will lose their power. They'll take on a form, and they'll look good, 
but they lose their purpose. If we miss the message, churches will lose their power, and they'll take on a pursuit of how and not who. Always looking for a new program. Tell me how to do it better, and still looking to the how, and he is the how. One more thing. If we miss the message, churches will take on a performance instead of a pursuit of his presence. I, I, I love programs, but don't sacrifice the pursuit of presence for the programs. Now, I said all that to set it up. We must have a biblical Christianity. We've done a good job in America with a churchianity. Well, a very poor job in my generation with a biblical Christianity. If God said it, there, there, let, me, let me just say this. There are, three, there are three things that has to be settled and never move, okay? I mean, that's it. It's concrete. There's some things, I mean, you know, bless God, if you won't meet in a building or a barn or a tent, it don't matter, okay? But there's three things that can never change. Number one, there's no name under heaven whereby you can be saved but the name of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other name. Don't you ever give over, and they are churches giving over to Islam as a way to God, and, and they're still called churches. Don't you ever give up. Jesus is it, and Jesus alone. Don't ever. The second thing is in 2 Timothy 3.16. You know it well. The other one was in Acts 4.12, John 14.6. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 13, all Scripture is given by inspiration. <clears throat> I, 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 we were talking about it at lunch today, I think. What's happened is all of this junk, this insanity on steroids... And it's gotten into the church. Come on now, I mean, it's gotten into churches. It's insanity on steroids. How, how you can tell a five-year-old boy that's a boy, you can be a girl if you want to. You've got a tilt on that one. To tell men they can marry and call that a marriage. A woman, they, I mean, come on now. We can kill over 60 million babies and count it as a right to do that. And women marching in the streets for the right to kill their babies. Folks, we got a problem. America has a serious problem. Now listen to me. And the only answer is sitting in this room. Washington don't even have a clue. I could go there, but I better not. So, what's the problem? Now here's the bottom line. I, I like bottom line. Bottom line, here's the problem. We lose the authority of what God said in His book. What did God say? God made man and woman, not Eve and Steve. Come on now. If God said it, come on now. I used to see bumper stickers. God said it, I believe it. That settles it. Part of it's the truth. God said it. I don't care whether you believe it or not. It's still the truth. So what's the problem is that we've lost the authority of the word. That's, the, that's bottom line. I didn't say you have. I'm, talking, I'm taking, uh, talking in general terms. So we never, never compromise the authority of the Word. 
And the last one is in Romans 1, as you would know, at 16 and 17, is the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel. Jesus lived, died, rose again, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Father gave him a name of all other names. You can never compromise the gospel. Preach it. I heard John Austin say one time he was invited to a, some big meeting, general meeting in the city, and they Reverend John Wood, uh, Reverend Osteen, I guess they call him, would you uh, say the prayer over the food? But don't mention the name Jesus. John Osteen said, I got up there. This is what he said. I heard him said, I prayed Jesus under every plate, every saucer, every knife and fork in that place. <laughs> now listen, listen. Pulpits in America cannot, must not compromise the gospel. Come on now, preach it, go. Folks will leave. Tell them, tell them, tell them the truth and let, let the rest up to God. Speak it in love, but preach the gospel. Now, with that in mind, let me give you three points about biblical Christianity. And some of it I really want to, uh, God's been talking to me about some specific things, and I, I will, I'll, I'll share them with you. First of all, let's blow the dust off this. Let's talk about the new birth. John 3, 3, you know it. Jesus said, now here, come on out. Jesus said, you must be born again. Damn, you know, when he says must, that's not optional equipment. He didn't say you can go to church, read your Bible, pray a little more, give a little more, try a little harder, vote Republican or Democrat or whatever, do all of that. No, he didn't say that. You must be born again. That must be a, 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 a spiritual birth. We know, we know that. You must be. If you must be, uh, you, you, you have to be. And so if we went around the room and said, when did you get born again? Well, I've been going, I, this is what, now you wouldn't say it, but many will say to me, oh, I've been a Christian all my life, red flag. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They ain't been saved all their life. Come on now. I remember when our first church, I went down to a little old country store just to, I don't know what to stop for, but I got out, I got out of the car, and this fellow getting out of the car about the same time I was, and we was walking in, into this old country store, and I thought, well, it's a pretty good time to talk to him about Jesus. I said, sir, let me ask you something. Are you a Christian? He looked at me, and he said, I got a sister that's a preacher. And I'm thinking, what has your sister got to do with you? <laughs> it's amazing to me. I heard one fellow say this, I'll tell you one thing, I'll be a Methodist, but I ain't going to be a Christian. You would be surprised. How many pews are filled every Sunday morning with people who are singing hymns? Come on, I go into church. Some of them in pulpits. Some of them in teaching classes in Sunday school that know nothing about what it is to be born again. Let me tell you something. You get born again, your life's going to change. You may not be perfect, praise God, none of us are, but your life will change. So being born again, I love it the way Paul said, in Colossians 1 uh, and, and verse 13, we are delivered and transferred 
into the kingdom. We were delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. Now that's what happened and we spend the rest of our life trying to figure all that out. Hallelujah. Now, so that is a settled fact. Second thing I want to talk to you about is once you get in the kingdom, but God, you get in the kingdom, what now? Our first church, June and I took our first church in 1967, <clears throat> a little Methodist church, and, and uh, it wasn't long afterwards that I began to sense in my own heart, is there, is there more than just getting saved? And, and I started, and, and, and you know, we didn't know anything. I mean, we so green, to, we had to kick the cows off every morning, but I thought we live in all we knew. And so I thought, well, surely the folks I'm preaching to know. So I'd ask them, do you believe there's more than just getting saved? Yeah, we believe it. Well, what is it? We don't know. <laughs> the blind was leading the blind. But there's more. There's more. Because, I mean, listen to me. Listen to me. Everybody here needs to hear you need to be and must be born again. But there is more than just getting in the kingdom. God's got more power and authority for you than you can imagine. And you've got to believe that and you've got to engage yourself in that. Now, here we go. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Jesus with his disciples. Now, I'm going to paraphrase and give this uh, St. Joe translation loosely. Jesus said to the boys, boys, <clears throat> I've been talking to you about this, but there's a promise of the Father you can have. And, and, and these are my words. And, and I, I want you to go down, verse 8, into Jerusalem, because once you get down there, you're going to receive some dunamis, some power. And, and, and when you get that power, it's going to do some things for you, and it's going to send you eventually around the world. Now, that's your assignment. That's what Jesus said. You, he didn't say you might receive. He said you shall receive. Now, watch this. So, fast forward a little bit. So, they go down. And uh, in the second chapter of Acts, verse 4 verses, as you well know, this church and you preachers preach it all the time. But in those four verses, I find it very interesting. Now, listen. They were in an upper room when all of this occurred, which was the day of Pentecost. The reason we, we, we give tags to everything. Do you ever notice that? We've got to name it. We, don't, we can't just be that. We've got to name it. Like, you know, you've got to be a Baptist. You've got to be a Methodist. Or if you get the baptism of the Spirit, you're Pentecostal. Why are you Pentecostal? The reason, the reason it happened on the day of Pentecost. What if it happened on Passover? What would we be called? Passover it's or so I don't know, but anyway. And, and, and then if you believe in the gifts, you become charismatic. I mean, you can just, you know. So we got to give, give everything a name. But, but what I find interesting, and I jotted it down just that, remember in Mark chapter 14 and 15 in the upper room was the Last Supper? Well, they celebrated what? Passover. Passover was when the Lamb of God was to die. That was in the upper room. Now listen carefully. The second thing is in John 20 and 19 through 23. After the resurrection, Jesus, and we don't know this for sure, but I believe it. 
Jesus, they were in a room because he's hiding out from the Jews. Jesus walked into the room, didn't open the door, walked through the wall, and began to talk to them. And you know, that whole encounter there, while he had them in there, listen to me, he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit right here now. Now, they had not been born again because you couldn't be until the cross. The lamb had to die before you could be born again. Now, you could be a believer, but up until, come on now, up until the cross, everything was done on the credit. In other words, all of the Old Testament saints used their credit card, and it was accounted to them for righteousness. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. Now, but, but the cross, Jesus paid all of the debt that we all owed, okay? So now he, he breathes on them just like Father breathed into Adam and received the Holy Spirit. And I've said this, I think, to you guys. Amazing thing, when I was at Asbury Seminary back in Wilmore, Kentucky, I found that verse. You know, I found it. And, and, and John, and so I had some great professors. And so I thought, well, shoot, far, these guys got PhDs. They got, more they got more degrees than a thermometer. They ought to know. So I started asking him. I said, can you tell me what, 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 what this scripture means? What does John 20, 22 mean? And let and, and, I me mean, tell you some of the answers I got. Some of them are kind of, you might say, what do you think John 20, 22 means? Uh, <clears throat> he was giving them a piece of the Spirit. A piece. Wonder what piece they got. Can you imagine saying, I got a piece of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> And, and someone said to me, uh, he's whetting their appetite. And I went through the whole gamut of asking people. These are wonderful guys. But, but they didn't know. And so one day I was praying and I said, Lord, I can't find anybody who knows what that scripture means. As clear as I hear my voice, I heard his. He said, I know. Well, that's good. <laughs> he knows. After all he wrote it, he ought to know. So... He said, go get your Greek New Testament. So I got it. And I read it. He said, read it. Here's what it reads. Jesus said to them, receive the Holy Spirit right here and now. He didn't give them a peace. He breathed on them like Father God breathed into Adam. Listen, I believe it was their new birth. I believe it was their new birth. So. Where did that happen? In that upper room, in a upper room. And then in Acts 1, 36, I get through this hurriedly, 26, I'm sorry, Acts, Acts 1, 26, when they cast lots for Matthias to take Judas's place, it was in, this, in a upper room. And then now Pentecost comes, where? In an upper room. Four major events. You've got, you've, you've got Passover, you got post-resurrection. You got the choosing of a of a disciple to take Judas's place, and now the empowering of a body is going to take place in the upper room. Now you know the story, and I'm not going to read it to you. But on the day of Pentecost, on that day, the Spirit of God blew into that place. I want to talk to you about three things that happened right there. Now, they were all, the Bible says, they were all in one accord. That's not a Honda, by the way. And um, just thought I'd know if you Honda drivers, we don't want to exalt you too high. So anyway, um, 
So they were all with one accord, King James. But if you read that in your interlinear, for instance, here's what it will say. They were all together, together. Now, I mean, even though you can be here, but we're not all together, together. It's so important that we align ourselves with the kingdom of God and with each other so God can do what God wants to do. So they were all together, together. And there were three things happened I want to talk to you about. First of all, the Bible says the fire came. It came like tongues of fire. The word tongues is the word glossae. The glossé, the glossé, in other words, the fire came as a glossé, a fire. How many you know fire does strange thing to people? You can't be on fire and sit still. Have you ever burned your finger and go, I just burned my finger? <laughs> You're lying if you say you did, because you did, none of us did. I've, many a time I've, I've burned my finger and I'm, I'm hunting the coolest spot I can find. Usually my mouth. Well, I don't care if it's washed or not. I'm cooling this baby down. Hey, you know, fire is a motivator. And you get, you get a church on fire, you had not got to tell them. You got to hold on, hold on. Bless God. I mean, you can't stop an on fire believer. I mean, you know. Because the Spirit of God is a cleanser. He's a motivator. What does fire do? It enlightens, and you can go on with that. But on Pentecost, tongues came like fire. Okay? I'll get back to that in a minute, maybe. The second one is, is, is interesting. Is there, there was a sound from heaven. Like a mighty wind. A sound. Now... <clears throat> The original text says the word sound is the word echos, from which we get our word echo. There was an echo from heaven. Now, you've been in, in, in buildings where if you say something, hello, 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 hello. <clears throat> well, now, now, I want you to think with me. What was going on here for this to happen is there was an echo from heaven which meant something had to be said on earth. Come on now. That went to heaven and heaven says, Hello. I think they were praying, don't you? They were in the upper room and their prayers hit heaven and heaven responded with a wind. I like the wind of the Spirit. I remember John Kilpatrick telling the story on Father's Day before the outpouring in Pensacola. Said he said he was sitting on the front row, and all of a sudden he heard a roar in the building. He thought the air conditioner was messing up. It was not the air conditioner. God's do it again, Lord. Why not at Hosanna? Why not this weekend? A, a sound. And as you well know, when that happened, revival broke out and hundreds of thousands came to Christ. That happened in the upper room. It was a wind. I remember, uh, and again, I may have told you this. In my age, you get me a lot of new friends. But anyway, 
a dear friend of ours, and she may be in heaven now. We have any contact with her in a few years. But the name of Betty Baxter. Betty Baxter went, uh, traveled with Oral Roberts when he had the tent for many years, just telling her story of how God miraculously healed her. Betty Baxter had uh, five, I think, or was it five? Or may have been seven. I think it was five incurable diseases, and they sent her home to die. She was 17 years old, and she was only as tall as her five-year-old brother. Anyway, so she gets to pray, and then Jesus comes and said, Betty, I'm coming in August the 13th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and heal you. He told her that. But she didn't tell Mama. So she held on to that as the rhema word that June had over me. She held on because it was the spring of the year, and she had to wait all summer into August. But on August the 13th at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, she said, Jesus said, Betty, I'm coming to heal you. But she didn't tell anybody. And then one day, her mama walks in and she tells her mama. Her mama said, praise God, he told me the same thing. She gets in the car, goes, she backs the car out of the garage. And Mr. Baxter comes and says, where are you going? I'm going to town to buy Betty a new blue dress. Why? It's because when Jesus heals her, we're going to dress her up and take her to church. Mr. Baxter said, well, she's losing her mind. Mr. Baxter said, if she's losing her mind, I'm losing mine because I believe it too. She went to town and got her pair of new shoes and a pretty new dress. Betty said, hung it up right at the dresser, right in front of her bed where she could see it, put the shoes on the dresser. Every time I'd get discouraged, I'd say, August the 13th at 3 o'clock, Jesus would come into my house and heal me. And on that day, it came. On the 13th of that morning, they all go to church except Betty. She sits in a chair, propped up with pillows. She's as high as her five-year-old brothers, I said. Every vertebrae in her back is out. Her heart condition, multiple, multiple things. It's just, a, uh, it's amazing. So they go to church and her little brother said in his Sunday school class, anybody want to say anything? He said, I do. <clears throat> We're going home today and eat dinner. And when we eat dinner, Jesus is coming to our house and heal sissy and make her bigger than me out of the mouth of babes and sucklings. And Betty said uh, the, the pastor was out of town, so he couldn't be there. It's a true story. I'm not making this up. And uh, right before 3 o'clock, some of the family and Betty sitting here propped up. And Miss Baxter said, Betty, wh wh what, what do we do when Jesus is coming? So I guess, Mama, we pray. Said we started to pray. It was a hot August sultry day. The wind was not moving. And she said, well, I heard the clock strike three. Ding, ding, ding. When it struck three, she said a wind hit that house. The curtain stood straight out. And I heard a door slam in the back of the house. And I looked over. I've told this many, every time I tell it, I feel the presence of God again. Because that's what God promised her. And over in the corner, he, she said, the whitest fleecy cloud I'd ever seen in my life. And I looked over and Jesus stepped out of that cloud. 
walked over to me, just walked over to him and stood before me. But he wouldn't get that close to me. And they're all standing there watching and, and, he, and Betty's trying to touch him, but she's so paralyzed, she can't. And, and, and Mrs. Baxter said, Jesus, you'll have to get a little closer. She can't touch you. <clears throat> Betty said, Jesus just wanted me to know it was all Jesus and not Betty. Because she said, finally, I just gave out. And when I did, he took a step. Go ahead and give up tonight and just give in to Jesus. Jesus took a step like this right up to her. Betty said, he laid them, it's what she said. He laid them hot hands on me. When those hot hands hit me, I felt heat go through my body. The first thing, my heart popped in place. I heard the vertebrae in my back cracking and popping. And I'm standing up. Everything about me in just a minute of time is totally, absolutely healed. And he's just standing there looking at me to see how pretty it made me. That's Jesus. And, 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 and so there's a lot of things that go with this. But, but he said, Betty, go tell the story of how I healed you. And every time you tell it, I will, my presence will come upon you just like it's in this house right now. I'm just telling her story. And Jesus said, Betty, go tell people I'm coming soon. And he left, goes back in the cloud, he's gone. Well, that night, it's time to go to church. Well, Betty hadn't been able to go to church, but they all, all the Baxters go to church. Now, remember the pastor's gone. Well, there's nobody goes to church. She said on Sunday night, night little church, to hear a, a student pastor, because they know the senior guy's gone, so nobody was there. So, but we go in and the Baxters fill up a pew. And I'm sitting next to my, her little brother. <laughs> and she said, in a little bit, uh, there's some more folks come in and a little bit some more people come in and we look around and people are just coming from everywhere. We didn't know. We didn't know what was going on. And finally, I mean, they're, 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 you couldn't get any more people in the house. They're standing around the walls. And then a minute the sheriff comes in. And he comes in packing. Because Betty said, when he walked down the aisle with his gun, uh, I looked at him I, and to my little brother, I said, why is he here? Little brother said, I don't know, but he's come to get somebody. <laughs> the sheriff, the sheriff gets up in the pulpit and said, and he doesn't know the Baxters. He said, word is out that God has healed the little Baxter girl. If you're here, I want you to come down and stand at the altar and let people look at you. I've got the worst traffic jam I've ever had in my life. Come on now. How you know we need some traffic jams? Come on now. We need some Betty Baxter stories again. Over and over and over again. So the world can know the tomb is empty. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. So it was a wind, an echo. Wow. I find it interesting in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. It says that God spoke. When he used the word spoke, it's the same word. When they spoke in tongues, same word. God spoke in Hebrews 1, 1. And in Hebrews 1, 2, it says, and then Jesus spoke in various times, same word as it is in Acts. 
It's amazing. God spoke, the Son spoke, now the Spirit is speaking in, 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 in believers right there in the upper room. Now, what did he do? Now, fire, sound, and he gave them a language. This language was a unifying language. It was the opposite of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, they once spoke together. Nothing was impossible. And, the, and you know what happened? God had to separate that to keep evil from triumphing on planet Earth as they tried to build the tower. But at Pentecost, God brought that reversed back to order when he gave them a spirit language. What do you think the language was with Adam and Father God? They wouldn't speak in Hebrew. I think it was a spirit language. God may have said, well, Adam, how you doing? Come on now. Now, come on now. If everybody in, come on now. Everybody in this house, if everybody in this house right now jumped to your feet and started praising God in tongues, we immediately are one. Can't you see why the devil fights that? Some perverted, some, you know, and, and, and some are scared like, you know, scared to death of it. Listen, God ain't going to hurt you. You ain't going to get something from Jesus. <laughs> That's bad. Oh, don't worry about that. Just let your hunger rise up. Because, now listen to me. A fire came that ignited the church. A sound came. Listen, it, it, we need a sound coming out of the church in America that is a certain sound of truth and righteousness and justice. We need an echo from heaven so the wind is blowing again. Then we need a language. A language of unification brings us together. People ask me, you think you have to speak in tongues? My answer is you get to. I don't have to kiss June, but I get to. I don't have to eat, but I'd get to. Come on now. We've got this thing all wrong. We're talking about a biblical Christianity, not a cultural religious idea. <laughs> well, so I, I get to ask myself, Lord Jesus, when I come to this last point, I want to labor it a minute. Okay, Lord, I sure love what I'm, what I'm seeing here. Could this happen at Hosanna and with all of us pastors that are here like it did then? Here's my question. Can we have what they had then? If we answer that, oh, don't settle for anything less. Don't back up. Press in. <laughs> Pastor friend, Mine is 93 years old now. His own testimony to me. He was going to seminary. Lost as a goose in the fog. And he's preaching. Can you believe that? Went to the most liberal seminary, as, as at least one of them, in the South. Or probably in the United States. It's awful. I'm not going to tell you the name of it. But it's absolutely awful. And he went to that that seminary, and while he's there, got saved. You think God doesn't laugh at the devil? Got saved at the most liberal seminary 
in the part of our world. Came home, got hungry. Got hungry for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Told me this personally. So I, he said, Doc, this is what happened to me. I got hungry. I wasn't getting anywhere. So I went, in, I went in my office one evening. I shut the door. And I said, Lord, I'm not coming out of here till I hear from you. See, there comes a time when you just got to say, this is it. As we said at lunch, like them Hebrew boys, we may burn, but we ain't going to bow. You understand what I'm saying? We, we made our mind up. We have a resolve. Hallelujah. And he said, I prayed, I prayed, I prayed, nothing. Until two o'clock in the morning, God baptized that Methodist preacher in the Holy Ghost, changed his life forever. Could that happen to you? Good. You, you, you see, what I'm talking about is a biblical Christianity. If, if, you, if you study the history of Christendom, you can't, this is, I'm, what I'm talking about is not optional. The churches right now that are impacting the globe are spirit-filled churches. Oh, you can get a crowd. I mean, you know, you can get a crowd for a mouse chasing. Come on now. Listen, I, my, my, a friend of mine named Ray Hughes, who's fighting some battles of his own right now physically. I was driving down the road with him a month or two ago, and he said, looked at me and he said, Doc, God's always big, but big's not always God. Because it's big, that tends to get our attention. Wow, look at that crowd, man. So can it? Because the Bible is, is very clear in in Acts 2, 38, 39, you know it. This is what Jesus said. This is for you. <laughs> for you. He said it's for you and your children and your children's children. What I'm talking about is for them. We're not talking about Pentecostals. We're not talking about Charismatics. Forget the name. We're talking about Christian people that love God, that want the power of God in the day we're living in to get through it, be victorious in it. We are the believers. Don't give me a name. Just call me a Christian. Now, when, when we blow the dust off and move into perhaps a new level of what biblical Christianity is all about, Go back to Acts 1.8. What did it say? When the power of God comes upon you, the dunamis, you know it well, the dynamic, or the dynamite of God, the explosiveness of God. Let me stop you. And I, and I don't know how much I've told you, but I've, I've, we, June and I pastored Christ Chapel Church in Florence, Alabama for 34 years. It was a wonderful experience. Didn't do everything right. I look back on it and go, Lord Jesus, thank you for your mercy. But we were pastoring a little Methodist church in Kentucky, right outside of Frankfurt. We, wanted to, we, we started pastoring in 1972, pastored it to 1977, no? Yeah, 77, five years. There were 25 people in it. And, and, and it was one of those little student pastorates 
where the Methodists, anybody ever been Methodist? Raise your hand. I knew there's something special about y'all. But anyway, 25 people in it. And, and, and June and I came with our two girls that were small then to pastor this church until we finished seminary. And then they'd move us back to Alabama. That's, that's, the, that's the method. Well, after two years, we'd grown up to 40, and I brought 40, uh, four of them. So we were not in massive growth. We were not, we were not <laughs> having to teach our new members how we acted. So anyway, so I started praying, Lord, what's wrong? Because I think where the Spirit of God's blowing, something ought to be going on. I mean, you can get death out in the cemetery. You can go out there and sit on the tombstone. You don't have to be afraid of nothing. Because ain't nothing going to happen. Come on now. How many you know why? Because they're all dead. So I start praying. Lord, what's wrong? So I decided my district superintendent, who was a good man, he really was, had a PhD from Princeton, educated. So I went to him. I said, tell me what's wrong. Tell me how we can, what can we do to see this little congregation grow? It's not growing. I don't know. Well, see, Ham, you know, up here doesn't necessarily change down here. So he didn't know. He had a lot up here, and he, I think he was a good man. He didn't know. So I started praying. I mean, isn't it amazing how we ask everybody else, we finally get around, well, God might know, we'll just ask him. <laughs> That's where we ought to start, but it's kind of our last go around. So I, I, so I just started praying. It's about 11, 31 night in that little Methodist parsonage. I'm praying. Here's what I'm praying. Lord Jesus, what is wrong with this little Methodist church? Tell me what to do. And God came. You won't believe what he said. God said at the next board meeting, you tell them to get up and get with it or die. <laughs> that, that, that won't get you raised at the next meeting. Come on now. Y'all know what I mean? So I remember there were nine of us at the next board meeting, and the the chairman of that board was a very godly man. I can still see him, long, snowy, white-haired. So it came, you know, any new business. The Lord said, it's your time. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm sweating bullets. And I said, I called him, him. I said, I have a word from God. You do? I said, yeah. What did he say? I said, I was praying the other night and as to why, why we don't grow and why we're not going on. And God told me to tell you to get up and get with it or die. <laughs> Boy, I, and I'm not kidding you. Blood just drained out of his face. He turned as white as this thing's right here. He didn't say nothing except tears started running down his face. That was God's invitation. And his voice broke, and he said, we don't want to die. What do we do? That was, uh, that was step one. I'm telling you this for application. So uh, things started happening. So I don't know, sometime after that, back in those days, we invited people in a, what we call lay witness missions. In other words, we get 30 
lay people to come in over Friday, Saturday, Sunday, stay in different homes, give their testimony of how they got saved, and people would get saved. I mean, that's, so I invited them from Kentucky and Ohio and Indiana. I mean, you know, different places. But then 30 people didn't come. So them witnesses were witnessing to each other. And it broke my heart. I tell people, if you want to kill your pastor, you don't like him, just stay home. He'll grieve himself to death. Because he loves sheep. So that Saturday night when I was just on the inside, I was broken. I said, I don't know what to do. And the Lord spoke. This is the third time. He said, you stay tonight and I'll tell you. June, our, our girls were smaller. June left, went back to the Parsons, which is a quarter of a mile down the road. How many of you have ever been desperate when the heavens were made out of brass and the more you cried, it was nothing. It was like, I'm, hello, 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 hello. Where are you, God? I don't know. I don't know where you are. That was me. Midnight came. I remember it was around midnight. And the front door of the church opened. It was June. Other than Jesus, the best thing that ever happened to me. She walked down the aisle. I'm kneeling at that Methodist altar. When her knees hit that, I'm out of my body. I don't, I'm not having some dream. I'm up here seeing June and me down there. And the top is off of this little old Methodist church building. And there's chains all around it. Three strands with huge locks. And the church is going like this. It's breathing. Y'all ever had the breath knocked out of you? You thought you was going to die? I said, Lord, the church is bound. He said, yes. I said, with what? He said, with the traditions of men. I said, so what do I do? He said, get in agreement with June and I'll break it tonight. Bam, I'm back in my body. I told June what I just told you. After I told her that, I'm back out of my body. I said, in the name of Jesus, I agree with June, and I break the chains and the, the, the tradition of men over this Methodist church. When I said that, I, it clears I see you. The church went whoosh, and I heard the chain cracking and popping. And they fell around the building. A dust came up, and something happened inside of me. Bill, I cannot tell you, but it was like a freedom. I told her, we go back to the parsonage. Next morning at church, I told basically that story, what I just told you. I said, if you're black, if you're white, fat, skinny, poor, rich, it don't matter. If you hunger for God, you're welcome here. When I said that, there was a lady in the back of the church, I still remember, dark-complected, dark-haired dark girl. She went, scream like a panther. And I'm up here in this Methodist pulpit. And she come flying down the aisle, kaplunk right in the altar. And I remember saying, that's not in the bullet. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. You know, we had a prelude and a postlude. Anything you did, you did in between. It's like eating a sandwich. You ate the in between. I said, that's not in the bullet. Well, it was a couple of weeks. I was up in Louisville, Kentucky at a nursing home. Assembly of God 
owned it, and there was a dear brother there, totally blind, musician, incredible guy. And I thought, it'd be good to have him come down and on a Sunday night, somebody drive him down, and he could sing and play his guitar. And he had a great voice, so he did. And so he came down that Sunday night, and he, I'm, up, I'm sitting over here, and he's strumming and playing, and everything was just nice for now. I didn't know God was setting me up. I mean, setting me up big time. So in a minute, he knew I was over here. He says, Brother Doc, would you lead me down in front of the altar? Well, I'm sure. I didn't. So we had aisle in the middle. When I got down, he would turn this way. Well, it didn't matter to him. He was totally blind. He said, there's somebody here, and he gave a word of knowledge. Somebody here gave another word, gave two words of knowledge. Two little old ladies, two older ladies came. And I'm standing as close as I am to the pulpit to this, this, this blind guy. This close. I'm watching everything. Can you, can you? I don't know nothing. <laughs> I'm going, he took his finger and touched her like this. She went, it was just like somebody laid her down in the bed. And she jumped up hill, both of them. I thought, how do he do that? You've got to remember, revival and renewal demands change. The old wineskins have to go. And see, I'm still operating in an old wineskin when there's a new school. <laughs> anyway. So uh, and then, and then, and then he gave another word of knowledge. This time it was the guy that led our singing, our worship guy. He's about 6'6", six, six, real muscular sort of, like, you know, a lot of black hair. Man, he gave a word of knowledge. Well, I'm watching. He touched him. Now, we, we don't know what catchers are. We don't know what falling is. You understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to tell you under biblical Christianity, even at the beginning. And, and so he didn't fall gracefully. He fell like a Georgia pine. And he hit the floor. And I mean, watch it. When he hit the floor, he went, he bounced. And his hair went, woof, woof. I said, I said out loud, God, you've killed my song leader. <laughs> he jumped up healed. Well, he fell right by his wife. <laughs> what was she? she turned green. Kaboom. <laughs> she turned green. He jumps up hill. Well, next Sunday morning, I got up and I said, I'm going to make an announcement. You all know what happened here last Sunday night. Yeah, that's it. It's not going to happen here anymore. My lay leader, who's kind of an assistant, said, hey, man. I felt... Wasn't that brave, God? A few weeks passed, and we're, we're having a prayer meeting around the altar. I think it's on a Wednesday night, and I'm way over here. We're all doing our Methodist thing, and I'm over here. And I heard the awfulest commotion. And I looked down at the other end, and one of my men was laying flat on his back. God had knocked him a wine and just kaboom, right out on the floor. <laughs> nobody touching him, nobody having anything to do with and God heard the fourth time. God said, I'm going to do this with you or without you. It's up to you. I said, count me in. Now, let me ask you. Can God count you in? Can you say, count me in? Well, Lord, that wasn't how I was brought up. We're not talking about bringing up. We're talking about what, what is it, what's in the Bible. What, what can God do for you and me now he can do for you now what he did with the, these were just plain people in the Bible 
They're just people like you and me. But he can do it for us now. It, uh, uh, it's not about us. You know, us preachers sometimes, I know these guys aren't, but I mean, we, we go through all kinds of things. I mean, listen, about the best thing you can do is show up. <laughs> I mean, come on, God. You know, say, well, God's got to have me. If he had to have you, he wouldn't be God. God ain't got to have you. He'd have a weakness if he had to have you. He chose, he chose to need you. He made the choice. You understand? And that's how big God is. And so what are we going to do now? Here we are on a Friday night. We've come for a weekend. What are we going to do now? Well, we're just going to, okay, in a minute we'll, we'll just, uh, no, we're not. We're going to ask God to do here tonight what he did here. Where he not only raised the dead, and I've seen him raise the dead. Only one, but I've seen him. I saw one get up. I'm telling you, she got up. Because she'd been dead for 10 minutes and got up. That's the only one I've ever seen that I knew. I've seen hundreds and hundreds spiritually raised from the dead. So God does raise the dead, heal the sick, deliver the people. You don't have to be bound. He delivered you out of the power of darkness into, into the kingdom of his beloved son. Isn't that wonderful? You go, well, I've been baptized in the spirit. Let me ask you something. People leak. (laughs) You ever had a tire that leaked down? Aggravate the dickens out of you. About the time you're in a hurry and you need something, you go out there and it's half flat. God must look at us and go, I pumped you up last week, but you're half flat. There's one baptism of the Spirit, but there's other infillings of the Spirit. So we leak. Lord, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied where I am. I'm telling you, Lord, I want to give you more of me so I can have and enjoy what I already have. I'm going to end with this and we're going to pray. I shared this on Zoom with, with the brothers the other day. About two weeks ago, God arrested me. And this is how he arrested me. He said to me, son, how real am I to you? So can I say that to you? How real is he to you? Because it's easy. Well, I go to church, I read my Bible, and I pray. I even pray in tongues every once in a while. That's good. How real is he? How real is he to you? Because I love what Catherine Kuhlman said, he's more real to me than the air I breathe. The other day, June uh, contacted, actually, we made a copy of it, and I have a copy of it, of when she died, Catherine Kuhlman. She, uh, when, when, when she, and I'll cut through some of it. When she died, the nurse recorded, when I went in, and laid hands on her body, it was not warm, it was not cold, it was hot. Later found out that she had told a nurse later that when she died at her funeral, 
She only wanted roses. When she died, the hospital where she was lost power when she died. This is fact. And the fragrance of roses filled that hospital, went all the way across a corridor into another hospital. The fragrance, strong fragrance of roses. And in comes the charge nurse. And who brought roses in here? Nobody. God honored one of his children. You can have what they had now. Don't put it in history. Put it in the present tense. God can refresh you tonight. God can heal you. God can deliver you. Let him. Don't do like Pharaoh. Give me one more night with the frogs. Don't take your frog out of here tonight. My goodness. You don't have to go on with the, and go to bed with frogs. Let God do it. God is good and he wants to do it tonight. And if tonight you've never been born again, you have to start there. That's the greatest miracle you'll ever see. It's eternal. And if you've been born again, never been baptized in the Holy Spirit, boy, we'd love to pray for you. I mean, golly. But if tonight you go, you know, I feel like I've been leaking and I need fresh anointing. Well, this is the night. I can tell you right now, this is the night. So I invite you in just a minute. We'll get the worship team, Larry, to come. And, and we're going to begin to worship again. How many of you, with, you know, sometimes we, we're always asking people, close your eyes and we'll do everything in secret. Jesus, Jesus didn't do it that way. He called people openly. So here's my question. How many tonight would say to God, Lord, I need your touch tonight and I'm not ashamed of it. Would you put your hand up and put it back down? And I'm not ashamed of it. Isn't that wonderful?